Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how the life of discipleship is not passive, it's active. When we understand the balance of grace and effort, we find the sweet spot. If you have any questions about Missio, you'd like to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, good morning and welcome. It's a nice summer day. Evidently, we're going to get like 85 degrees today. Yeah, it's bonus weather, right? I uh, just want to say a special welcome if this is your first time with us. Um, otherwise, welcome back. And we're still in the book of Philippians. And today we're going to talk about managing expectations. Yeah, managing expectations. See, we all have expectations in life, don't we? And things that we expect to happen or we have expectations of people and uh, I brought something with me today. You guys know what this is, right? And you might have some expectations about what I'm going to do with this. Some of you might think that we're going to go play a little game of baseball this afternoon. Some of you might think that maybe I'm going to, you know, use this to like chase somebody down or give it to the security team or something. Or maybe I could take this bat and I could go out and I could check trailer tires. I could, you know... See if there's air pressure in the tires. Some people do that. Truckers do that sometimes. So I'm not going to tell you what this is for. I'm just going to set it over here, but I want you to think about that because you probably have some expectations of what we do with a baseball bat, just like a lot of things in life. Uh, I can remember when I was a kid, one of the things that I would get expectations about was a trip. We'd go on vacation somewhere, somewhere I'd never been, and I'd have all these images in my mind and Oh, it's going to be like this, and it's going to look like that. Anybody relate to that? You ever done that? And then you get there, and it's completely different, totally different than what you thought. Or maybe you started a new job, and you had your job description, and in your mind you thought, oh, this job's going to look like this. It's going to be this way. And then you get there, and the first day they got you, like, cleaning toilets or something. Like, this is not what I signed up for. So we have expectations all the time, and our expectations are based on assumptions of what we think is going to happen based on our opinions and feelings. And so we project expectations all the time in areas of life. In relationships, we do this as well with our spouse or our friends. We can have expectations. And the problem with expectations is most of the time they're not met. You know, sometimes they are, but for the most part, our expectations are not met because we have something in mind that we project onto other people or other situations. The truth is that when we become Christians, we even have some expectations spiritually. We think, well, hey, I become a Christian, God's going to bless me, and every prayer I pray, He's going to answer, and He's going to say yes to every request I have, kind of a genie in a bottle mentality. Or we might have uh, wonder, what are God's expectations for me? Now that I'm following Jesus, I'm living my life for Him, what does He expect of me? And so managing expectations is important. And it would be pretty awesome if we could know exactly what God wanted from us, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice if we didn't have to live wondering what God expects from his people? Well, the good news is we, we do know. We, we know what his expectations are because we have the Bible. We have his word, and he's been very clear with us. So our spiritual life is the one area of life that we can live with knowing what the expectations are and what God wants for us. See, how could we live with a sense of joy? We've been talking a lot about joy in our series. How could we live with a sense of joy 
if we never really knew if God was for us or against us? That'd be pretty hard. Or how could we live with any sense of confidence if we're always questioning God's character and His heart toward us based on how good we're doing that day or that week? It'd be pretty difficult. So one of the best ways to manage expectations is to communicate, isn't it? You think of your relationships with other people. Those of you that are married here, you know what I'm talking about. Our spouses can have expectations, and sometimes we just need to communicate those. Uh, When my wife and I first got married, our first year of marriage was pretty brutal. I mean, we fought about everything. And I mean, it was like, hey, what what drawer are we going to put the silverware in? Well, I want this drawer, and I want that, like... We just picked a fight about everything. Not real smart. But one thing I, I had happen many times is I would, I would offend my wife about something, and she's looking at me right now. I'm probably offending her as I say this. <laughs> and I would offend her, and I'd say, what's wrong? And she'd say, nothing. You guys know that's not the truth. Something's wrong. And then I would begin to say, well, did I do this, did that? Well, you should just know. Anybody ever heard that one before? You should just know. Like, you realize who you're talking to here? Like, I do not know what's going on in your brain. I need some help. You need to communicate with me because whatever expectation you have of me being a mind reader is not working. And we've been married for 20 years now, and we've learned to communicate. We've learned to share those things with each other because I'm not very good at just knowing what's going on. God doesn't do that to us. He doesn't say, well, you should just know. He says, no, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to communicate what I expect and how to, how to have a relationship with me, how to live this Christian life. So we've been in this book of Philippians, and just to give us a, just a brief recap, if you haven't been with us, the Apostle Paul is, wrote this letter to his friends in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony, and they had a church there that Paul had helped plant. So he had started the church. And these were his friends, and he had been with them, but now he's in chains in Rome. He's imprisoned in Rome, and he's writing this letter to them to encourage them. And so that's where we get the book of Philippians. He wrote this to his friends. And so we're going to pick this up together and read in chapter 2. If you've got a Bible, you want to flip there, otherwise we'll have it on the screen. And we're in the NLT, Philippians 2, 12 through 18. It says, Dear friends, you have always followed in my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so no one can criticize you. Live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining as bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. So Paul begins communicating his expectations to his friends. He says, hey, I'm not with you. I can't be there. I can't correct you and help you understand the gospel. I taught you. Remember what I taught you. And the first thing he says is, 
expect to put in some effort. Expect to put in some effort. You have to try, right, in order to follow Jesus. And there's a verse that I want to focus on at the very beginning here, verse 12, the latter part of that. It says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. That's the way the NLT translate, translates it. Now, there's, uh, in the ESV or in a number of other translations, it says something more like this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Who's heard this verse before? Raise your hand if you know this verse. You've heard this before. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And this is one of the most misunderstood verses. There, there's a handful of them in, in, throughout the Bible. And this is one of those verses that if you just take it out of context and you just read it, you could interpret that as you should work really hard for your own salvation. You should earn it. And you should be super afraid of God because you're probably not going to get it right. You're probably not going to cut it. And it's easy to think and feel that way. You just read past it. Oh, well, I guess that's where we're at. And I love the way that the NLT translates this because it says, work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So one of the things that that bothers me uh, is when people take a a verse out of context like that and apply it and make a a doctrine or an assumption about God based on one or two verses. When you find a verse like that and you're like, I don't know really what this means, you have to look at it throughout the whole context of Scripture, the whole Bible. God is the same. He has not changed. His character, His nature are the same throughout the whole story of Scripture. And so are we, are we told here by Paul that we're supposed to earn our salvation? No. He says, work hard to show the result of your salvation. But oftentimes, um, people take that and then they miss the gospel altogether. They say, well, it's up to me. I need to please God. I need to do everything for him. And and really, churches will even teach this. It's a scare tactic. Like, hey, as a church, we're going to get you to be afraid of God, and we're going to make you think that you just have to do a whole bunch of stuff so that maybe you'll get into heaven one day, but you won't really know for sure. Just find out at the end. That's not good news. Are you kidding me? Do all this stuff, and, and maybe in the end it'll pan out? That's not the gospel. The gospel is, hey, you can know for sure that you have salvation with God. You can be redeemed by him, receive his grace. But then Paul says to work out your salvation, to let it show, to let it be a result. And I know this verse says that we're to obey God with reverence and fear. Now, I don't think that means that we're supposed to be afraid of God as if he is going to smite us and we need to be always looking over our shoulder. Throughout scripture, we see that God wants a relationship with people. God wants intimacy with us. I think the the type of fear that we're talking about here, biblical fear, is, is really in awe, saying, I realize who it is that we're dealing with. God is not like us. God is amazing. He is powerful. He spoke the cosmos into being. He created the stars. He's numbered them all. He knows the hairs on your head, or maybe the lack thereof. He knows every detail about us. He created us. He made us. God is all-powerful, all-knowing. He's everywhere. And I think that's the awareness to say, do we know who we're dealing with here? This is God. He is awesome. And that's the kind of fear that we're to have when we approach Him. doesn't mean we need to be afraid of Him or hide from Him. See the difference there? 
So it says, work out your salvation in fear and trembling. It's a matter of letting your salvation show through your lifestyle and being aware of the one who saved you to obey him. So we don't work for our salvation. We let it show. What God has worked in, we work out. We're saved by grace. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves. Right? Not by works so that no one can boast. We can't boast in our salvation. Jesus does that for us. It's the doctrine of grace. But what about effort? He says, work out your salvation, right? Let the results of your salvation show. There is an expectation to work, to do something. And so you see this tension. Some people say, well, it's all grace. I don't have to do anything. Jesus did it all, and I'm just going to coast on into eternity. And yes, Jesus did it all. But there's also this tension of like, what is our part? How do we make an effort? And so there is a tension here. And one of my favorite quotes is from Dallas Willard. I've shared this before, and I, I regularly think about this. And this is what he says. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. And so what Willard is getting at is he's saying, you can't earn your salvation. Jesus paid for that. But you can put in effort in your discipleship. You can pursue Jesus. You can serve. You can obey his word. You see that, how that works? It's the difference in saying, I'm a good person because I do all these things. I serve the poor and I, I give and I, you know, I'm, 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 I'm earning my own righteousness. Or a person who says, man, I've received my righteousness from Jesus based on what he's did. And even on my best day, I don't measure up. But I'm going to serve and I'm going to give and I'm going I'm to do all these things because I love God. I love him and I'm thankful and I have gratitude for what he's done for me. So our effort is not motivated out of fear of what God might do to us. It's motivated out of our love for what he has already done in us. There's quite a difference there. I want to show a slide to give you just a kind of a picture of this um, grace and effort. And maybe this will help. And if you think about grace, if you're high on grace at the top and you go to the left quadrant but no effort... You're unproductive, unfruitful. There's not a lot of activity in your life, right? And if you go down to the bottom, earning, high on earning, I'm going to put in a lot of effort, or, or sorry, high on earning but no effort, then I'm hiding in shame because I think God demands all this stuff of me, but I'm going to hide because I'm, I'm not measuring up, so I'm, I have shame. Then you go to the bottom right quadrant, high effort, high earning, that's legalism, performance, and that's where... We're honest, a lot of Christians live in that quadrant, right? High effort, high earning. God, you owe me. I did all that stuff for you. But where he wants us to be is the upper right quadrant. High grace. We understand it's all grace. And as a result, the effort flows out of us and we're fruitful. We're productive. That's the kind of life that God desires for us to live. So Paul goes on and he says, you know, your ex expectation is for effort. But then he gives us some application. He says, expect to live differently. Expect to live differently than the world. Verse 14 and 15. Let's read it again. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked 
and perverse people. So this is really continuing on the same train of thought. Let your light show. Be different. Let your lifestyle reflect what God has worked into you. Let it work out. Don't complain and argue. Who gets excited about that message? Don't be complainers. Don't argue. That's not the life that God desires for you. You're now children of God. That's an identity statement. He says, this is who you've become. You're now children of God, so live it out. Act that way, right? This isn't due to be. It's the opposite. Let, it, let the result of who you are show up. Unfortunately, we tend to do the opposite. We love to complain, don't we? Oh, we complain about our jobs and our coworkers and our boss and our neighbors and our kids. Am I missing anything? The government, oh yeah, that's a good one. We complain all the time. Oh man. And then it says, Paul says, don't argue. We love to argue. We like to argue and then all of a sudden we got social media. Well, now you can have an argument with everybody at the same time and everybody's at their keyboard, you know, on their phone just throwing bombs and grenades at each other. And I tell you what, it grieves my heart when I read the threads of Christians arguing. You ever just get sick of that? It's like, man, Paul says do everything without complaining or arguing, and people are just arguing like crazy all over social media. Ugh, sickening. And the reason, he says, is because you're supposed to live a life that is above criticism. Why would that matter? Well, if we can be criticized for the way that we're living, we're not reflecting Jesus very well. He says, live in a way without complaining or arguing so that your life is above criticism. Because when we become argumentative and complainers, we lose our credibility. We do. We lose our credibility. And we're just like everybody else. He says, don't contribute to the darkness. Shine bright. Be a light in a dark, dark world that is everybody's at each other's throats. Be different. It's the expectation. Live a different kind of lifestyle. You imagine living in a world where people didn't complain or didn't argue? I mean, what would we even talk about? <laughs> what would those conversations look like? I don't know. I mean, it's, it's really almost a foreign concept to us. And one day, we will experience this when Jesus returns and we live with him for eternity. It will be that way. There won't be complaining and arguing. For now, there is but guess what? We get to live different in this world. We don't have to contribute to what everybody else is doing. Paul says, stand out. Live a different kind of lifestyle. So our lifestyle as followers of Jesus communicates a message to those that don't yet know him. It's our testimony. It's our collective um, presence in the world. Last week we talked about attitude. If you were here with us last week, we talked about having the attitude of Jesus considering other people as more important than yourself. Because we love to be self-centered. Oh, it's all about me. It's all about my opinions, me being right. That's why we argue. It's pride. I'm right, you're wrong. You need to know it. We complain, well, you're not, you're not centering your world around me. And so we, we complain because we're the victim. Paul says, have the attitude that Jesus had. Although he was God, he didn't hang on to his privileges. He came down and humbled himself and died as a servant. See, I think Christians 
have expectations put on them. I don't know if you guys have thought about this much, but um, people who aren't Christians, non-Christians, have expectations of us. And I think it kind of goes one of two ways. Some people say, well, you're a Christian. You should be the most loving and kind and generous people ever. Right? Some people think that. And other people say, well, you're a Christian. They have a different set of expectations. You're the most hypocritical, judgmental jerks. And I mean, I tell you what, if, if, if anyone here has ever worked the restaurant scene on Sunday after church around noon to one, we don't have a good reputation, guys, as a church. I, I'm painting with a broad brush here, but we don't have a good reputation. We're low tippers. We're complainers. We're known that way. Paul says, don't do that. Live different. Don't be complainers. Don't be arguers. Stand out in a world where that is very common. You probably heard someone say at some point, I don't have a problem with Jesus, I just don't like the church. Or I just don't like the people. I don't like his people. And that's, that's sad to me because that means that we're probably not representing the heart of God very well. We're maybe not representing Jesus in a way that is accurate. We have the Holy Spirit living in us. And Paul said in this passage that we have the power of God giving us the desire to do what pleases him. It's living within us. So we should be the most hopeful, joyful people on the planet. Unfortunately, sometimes we're not. Because we make it all about me and this world revolves around my preferences and what I think is right. I want to pause for two questions of discussion. And the first one is this. How does complaining and arguing impact your daily life and relationship with others? I think it puts a lot of like trying to focus on the negative and instead of like yeah, it keeps you as kind of a negative mindset, focusing on what, everything that's wrong instead of what's right. And it's really hard to have gratitude. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of a, a daily life inward thing. What about with other people? How does it impact our relationships with other people? Negativity is contagious. Misery loves company. So we either end up with people who are also argumentative or complainers or people don't want to hang out with us or I don't know. Any other thoughts? How complaining and arguing impacts our daily life or our relationship with others? You know, I tell my daughter all the time that um, the energy that we put out does not go out forward, that it creates. Yeah, and I think really, you know, attitude, we talked about that a lot last week. The attitude that we carry out into the world makes an impact on the people around us. So if we have kind of a negative, you know, whiny, you know, persona about us, like that's going to affect other people, not just ourselves, but other people, right? Number two, why does our collective witness as Jesus' people matter to the world around us? Does it matter that we have a collective witness, a testimony as the church? That's the only exposure some people get to us because they don't go to church. Wow, yeah, that's a good statement. 
That's the only exposure some people will have to the gospel because they won't come to a place like this or into a building. Yeah, people are gonna assume some things maybe about God based on how we act and treat them. Any other thoughts? So the last thing that Paul says in this text is that we're to expect joy. And I've said it before, I think we're, we're to be the most joy-filled people on the planet. It doesn't mean because life always goes our way or that I always get what I want, but it means that we have a source of joy that other people don't have. Right? Look at what Paul says, verse 17. I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service as an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. So Paul's talking about something different. He says, if I lose my life, I will rejoice. I will be joyful. Now, that seems kind of odd, right? I, I don't know if I share... Paul's uh, values here. I tend to be joyful when things are going my way, when my family's healthy and my bank account's growing and I'm queued up for an awesome vacation. I'm a pretty joyful guy. Yeah, life's going my way. And Paul's saying, hey, I, I'm in chains. I might die. And you know what? It's all good because I'm joyful because God's got this. And Paul was reminding the Philippians that even though they wanted him to be released, that was their desire. They want, they want Paul to get out of prison. He says, it doesn't matter. If I get out of prison, great. If I don't, great. And it's just a very different way of, of thinking. Now, I don't think they were supposed to be joyful that he was going to be executed. Like, that's weird. Like, it's bizarre. Morbid, right? But, but he's saying it, it's rooted in God's kingdom work. Like, are we truly finding our joy in God's kingdom and his eternal purpose and plan? Or maybe are we trying to find our, our joy in our own little kingdom? See, I like when God builds the kingdom of Josh. Maybe you like it when he builds your kingdom, right? Like, oh yeah, this is all about me and my personal happiness and my personal fulfillment. And some things might go our way for a while, but that'll eventually crumble. Paul says the real source of joy is not based on what happens to us in life. It's based on God's plan and purpose for the universe, and it's so much bigger than our lives. But it's hard for us to wrap our brains around that. So we have expectations of our own kingdom expanding, and, and God's really not into that. He's really into expanding his own kingdom. I don't know if you've, if you've uh, become aware of that, but um, joy is found in ways that maybe we don't expect. Kingdom joy is experienced when we celebrate somebody else's joy with them. Like somebody's birthday, we celebrate their birthday. Well, it's not our birthday, but we can celebrate with them, have joy with them. You know, if our kids do something great in school, we celebrate, oh, it's, I'm, I'm joyful for you. But what about when the church across town is doing some great things or another ministry? Are we joyful for their success? Because I think we tend to like to tear down the church. Well, their doctrine is, is kind of off over there, and I can't believe what they're doing. And we get super negative, don't we, as the church? It's hard for us to celebrate and have joy. Remember what Paul said in verse, uh, chapter 1? He said, there are people out there preaching the gospel with wrong motives. 
It doesn't matter. He said, I, I rejoice because the gospel's being proclaimed. So it's not up to us to go around and correct everybody and to argue about all our theology and doctrine, especially on social media. Paul says, hey, the gospel's going out. Lives are being changed. I rejoice. I can be joyful. We struggle with this one, guys, if we're honest. Because we get all about our church and what we're doing. It's like, no, it's the kingdom. It's, it's global. God is doing things that are so amazing and big. And we can be joyful in that. We can celebrate with others. See, Paul reminds us once again, the secret to finding joy wherever we're at is three things. Focus on other people. It's not all about you, right? The world does not revolve around me or you. Focus on others. Focus on God's work in the world, what he's doing, the spread of the gospel, his kingdom expanding. And the third one, have a good attitude. Have a good attitude. Don't complain. Don't argue. Last week we talked about how life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to it. Makes all the difference. That's really the book of Philippians in a nutshell, isn't it? Paul writing from prison. Hey, he's got a good attitude. Circumstances are bad, but hey, the gospel's being spread. Keep your head up. So two more questions for discussion before we close. And this is the first one. Why do, why do many Christians struggle to experience the joy of the kingdom expanding through other churches or ministries? Why do you think many of us struggle to celebrate with other people in their joy? It's kind of a long question. Does that make sense? Sometimes I wonder what I'm doing. But. Sometimes have envy <coughs> envy that other church oh look how they're treating their kids oh what they did for Easter for the community oh look and see what but yeah don't do those things and we sit here in our little nest and it's wonderful with just this nest mm-hmm. but somewhat we've got to get out of the nest and fly yeah you talked about envy I don't know if you could hear that we envy somebody else because they're doing something that's really cool and we just, we write it off. Well, that's, that's just, you know, I can't believe they're doing that or whatever because maybe we're jealous. Maybe, and we just want to be about ourselves and we forget that there's a huge picture here. It's, it's the global kingdom of God expanding. So different than what we experience when we live isolated in our, in our own like, little nest, like you said, yeah. How about the second question? How would finding our joy in God's work bring stability to our Christian life? If we could base our joy not on the kingdom of you or me, but on God's kingdom and what he's doing in the world around us, would that change anything for us? One thing about God is steady and consistent, but our own lives are so up and down. Yeah, God is steady. I'm so glad that God doesn't change. Aren't you guys? He doesn't change the rules. He doesn't change his character. And when we find joy in what he's doing through the ups and downs of life, like Tim said, our, our lives go up and down. Sometimes circumstances are really good. Sometimes they're not. We can still have joy. Remember, Paul was in chains. He didn't know if he was going to live. He says, I rejoice. So different than the way we view joy, isn't it? See, when we live with expectations that are not met, we get frustrated. Hey, my expectations aren't met. I'm mad. 
And sometimes our spiritual expectations need to be adjusted. And I'm so glad that God gives us a clear picture through his word. Hey guys, this is how you live, live your Christian life. You don't have to wonder. See, there are a lot of religious people out there who are trying really hard to figure out what God wants from them. And it's, it's, it's right here. It's so simple. God says, I save you by grace, but I want you to show effort. I want you to work out the results of your salvation. Let it be evident to others. Paul writes this to the Philippians. It applies to us too. And the second one is that our lifestyle should look different than the world around us. If we look no different, what, are, what message are we sending? Don't complain. Don't argue. Those are pretty, pretty basic, pretty, pretty um, direct but difficult ones to apply. And really, be joyful when the kingdom expands. Let's not pick each other apart. Let's not be against every other church and ministry but our own. Let's have a kingdom mindset like, like God wants us to have. Like, hey, this is all his family, his work. You know what? If they're teaching some wrong doctrine over there, God's going to sort that out. It's not my job. It's not your job. Like, we care about what we're teaching here. Yeah, let's pay attention, but we're not the police, the church police. And I'm glad that God gives us clarity and that we don't have to wonder. We don't have to question, how am I with God? He tells us, through Jesus, you're redeemed, you're set free. See, I brought this baseball bat. And uh, the truth is, I had no intent whatsoever to use this up for anything other than to get you to think about expectations and how sometimes they aren't met. So whatever your expectation is, it probably wasn't met, so there you go. Maybe we'll take the complainers and whiners out back with this bat, I don't know. Anyway, let's pray and just thank God for his word. Lord, thank you that um, you encourage us and you challenge us to not stay where we're at. God, you have redeemed us. You have given us Jesus. You've given us the gospel but it changes everything. Not in order for us to earn righteousness, but God, to let it show, to let our righteousness show, to to let the world know that we're different and that you've done a deep work in us. Holy Spirit, you dwell in our hearts and you give us the power and the desire to live differently. And so maybe we've harbored some sin in our lives we need to repent of. Maybe we have uh, let our flesh run wild and just been selfish and self-serving and complaining and bad attitude and all those things. So Lord, we just pause this morning to say, we need you. Jesus, continue to transform us, continue to change our hearts. Let us reflect you to a world that desperately needs you. And God, we can have joy as we watch, watch you work. And we thank you your name. Amen. Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Expect to put in effort. We don't work for our salvation. We let it show. God has worked it in. We work it out. Our effort is not motivated out of fear of what God might do to us. It is motivated out of the love for what he has already done for us. There is a biblical explanation to put in effort into our discipleship. Being a Christian is not a passive thing. We put in effort, but not to earn. Expect to live different. 
our lifestyle as followers of Jesus communicates a message to those who don't know him yet. Expect joy. Kingdom joy is experienced when we celebrate someone else's joy with them. Paul reminds us once again that the secret to finding joy where you are is to focus on other people, God's work in the world, and have a good attitude. God's expectations for us. God saves us by grace, but wants us to put in the effort to show the results of our salvation. Our lifestyle should look different from anyone else around us because our attitude, we are not complainers or argumentative. We can find joy when God's kingdom expands. Discussion questions. How does complaining and arguing impact your daily life and relationships with others? Why does our collective witness as Jesus' people matter to the world around us? Why do many Christians struggle to experience the joy of the kingdom expanding through other churches? How would finding our joy in God's work bring stability to our Christian life? Thanks for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.